Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Now we're taking a shot up in the tailgate yep. lot yep. with a stadium view. Woo! What a great spot. Damn it, I've been waiting all week. Counting down the days till I'm back in my seat. Till I'm back in my seat. Back on the boulevard, Monday, April 24th. As always, here to prove to you there is no such thing as football season. We are presented by the Believe Network. And it's a good thing we weren't on the road this week because somehow, some way, we became your tiebreaker calculator of sorts in XFL Week 10. And if some of you saw my report cards from high school math, you'd be questioning how that came to be. Well, the short answer is I couldn't do it all alone. So let's shout out the producer, director, and owner of the humble abode we call Studio Z, Chris Zook. Congratulations, the Seattle Sea Dragons are playoff bound. You got the trident going on there. And we always talk about this, how at the beginning of the year, XFL was very new to you. 2020, you had watched from afar, didn't have enough time to give your allegiance to a certain squad yet. However, you had one in mind that if the league ever did make its way back, you were going to ride with for a couple of reasons. You, ch- you chose the Seattle Sea Dragons, and you now put us in a situation where for a third time this season, we'll be pitted against each other. And this punishment for the loser has to go harder than the first two, which if you remember, first time around, Zook had a plunger on his head. Second time around, he was Bozo the Clown. How can I outdo myself when you lose the XFL North Championship? Well, you'll find out next Monday when you got to drown in your sorrows because for a third time, the D.C. Defenders have beaten the Seattle Sea Dragons, and this time they're a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Just like normal, Matt introduces me. And talks for 30 seconds. And I didn't get to say a word. I don't even want to hear it from you today. Come on, baby, let's go. you're convinced now that your team is better than mine, and that's just not the case. What do you mean now? You are See, this is the problem with this show. We have beaten Seattle twice, and the Seattle fans are still convinced they are better than the D.C. defenders. I am convinced. Did you hear what, um, what he said on, after the game? Who was he? <laughs> See, I, I'm, this, is, this is Zook hate week for me. I am, I am going after Zook at every corner that I possibly can. I'm ramping it up this week. You think I'm normally insufferable? You get ready for this week, pal. You are insufferable. You know what? This jersey behind me, it might go on. It might become apparel rather than just a prop on our set. I, I, I've stayed pretty in the middle with my attire. I might have to start dressing like you do out here with your you know, Seattle propaganda all over the show. We have a lot to talk about tonight. I don't know why I even brought Zook on. I was going to thank him for helping us out with all the math. But the fact is, we will not get along this week. So if you enjoy two people on a show, I, I was going to say co-host, but he's a producer. He does more than just co-host. If you enjoy two castmates of a show not getting along, this is going to be the week you tune into Spring Ball Boulevard. Whew. Well, we have a special shout out to give to a few people specifically for helping me out this weekend. Thank you to the Adam Schefter of the XFL, Mike Mitchell. Picking up his phone when I was in a complete panic trying to understand all the math and if it was right. Mike has been doing this for a long time, dating back to XFL 2001. Follow him on Twitter at ByMikeMitchell. Thank you, Mike, for confirming our math. 
Got to give a shout out to first team all XFL PR pro Brian Stahl, my guy. He answered the door when we knocked. We wanted to help out the players, the coaches, the fans to all understand and a clear view what the Battle Hawks needed to do to make the playoffs. Stully, we could have not done that without you. Thank you, my friend. And DFI Gabe possibly sending me the most important DM of the weekend, kind of exposing a few plot holes in our scenario. I'm not going to lie, it wasn't perfect. DFI Gabe came through, gave us the math. Thank you for the help. Sam Cavallari, another one. Couldn't have done it without you. You guys are lifesavers helping me out here. XFL community coming through in the clutch as always. And if you don't follow us on Twitter and you're like, what are you guys talking about? Well, you probably heard the news from the ESPN broadcast that the Seattle Sea Dragons made the playoffs, so don't worry. That's what we're here for. We're going to explain everything to you that you might have missed on Twitter. I have to give a final shout-out to the crew of ESPN. John Schriffen, Tom Luganbill, Stormy Bonatoni, and Harry Douglas. You guys carefully navigated the tiebreakers throughout the game, and once we pinpointed Seattle was not going to get to 34 and the fourth tiebreaker was not going to decide the playoffs... You guys let us know they had a very real path in throughout the whole game last night. I feel like I had that devil angel on the shoulder, you know, from the cartoons. I feel like one side of me was that angel, and it was telling me, make this easy for ESPN. Seattle wins, they're in. Or Seattle scores 34 or more, they're in. Let's not even get in the fifth tiebreaker. Let's just have nice things. And then, of course, there's the devil on the other shoulder chirping me all night, reminding me of that reality that, Seattle not only had to avoid a loss, they actually had to avoid 10 different exact score combinations that we found that all revolved around the week three result of the game, which was 30 to 26. So it got tricky. Um, Addressing our tiebreaker Tuesday video that a lot of you have been asking about for a follow-up, we told you that that scenario was all based on St. Louis holding Orlando to as few points as possible. Clearly that did not happen. The guardians had 20 by half. And I knew that it was a wrap that a lot of the things cannot fall into place in that scenario, unless they held Orlando certainly to under 20, but we still had to report all these mathematical possibilities on tonight's show. St. Louis dropping a 50 burger changed the math quite a bit for us here. It gave them life but not as much life as they would have had by playing better defense, which is what Seattle did. Now, the sad scene here is we get four and six Arlington in. Seven and three St. Louis is out. This is a scenario we warned you about back on the April 4th episode of Spring Ball Boulevard. AJ McCarron calling for potential playoff reform. I kind of see where he's coming from. Zook will have his thoughts on that, I'm sure. We disagree, like always. But the fifth tiebreaker decided it, which is ultimately what we warned you would happen when everybody else was relying on the fourth tiebreaker. The D.C. Defenders, do I got to tell you, it's Victory Monday, and we're $9,000 richer. Well, I shouldn't say we're. I'm not a dime richer than anybody, but the D.C. Defenders players are $9,000 richer than they were starting the season because they've won nine games. They've got a $1,000 game bonus for each, and they just knocked San Antonio out of the playoffs. And we had a lot of questions to get to on Twitter, so we're going to go ahead and 
sift through them with the mailbag. Make sure you drop us a like on the video if you're here with us live. Subscribe to the channel. Only a few episodes left before our season finale. Cannot wait for playoff coverage and our freshie awards that are coming up. It's going to be a fun last couple weeks of the season. An update on our PS5 Pick'em. It has now come to a close. So thank you to everybody who participated in the 10 weeks of the season. If you didn't get the chance to, we'll be back next year. Don't worry about that. If you did get the chance, maybe you picked games all 10 weeks. I know we have people with multiple entries in this thing that are going to have a better shot at this PlayStation 5 that we are going to give away here in the near future on one of the shows that we do to wrap up the season. And man, it got really competitive. In, in the season and, and with everything that we were looking at, you had to go four for four on picks. Some people did it, guys, and, and I didn't think it would happen as often as it did. But you listen to us, you go four for four. Sometimes you, you fade us, you go four for four. Whatever you chose to do, you could win a PS5. Thank you for playing along. We'll let you know when we're going to draw that. All right, so let's take a look at the standings. Final standings of the XFL 2023 regular season. The DC Defenders were plus 650 to win the XFL championship to start the year. That was the seventh odds on the board of eight. You better believe I got plus 650. And I'm riding that sucker out all the way to San Antonio. DC finishes the regular season 9-1, and one, even when all of you told me they have nothing to play for and they were going to lose to San Antonio. Seattle is in at 7-3 and three via the fifth tiebreaker. St. Louis is also 7-3. and three. They will go home. Vegas at 2-8 and eight was disappointed with them. That was not a good performance against Seattle. Houston at 7-3. and three. They clinched a division last week. No issue there. They get the seven wins, and they sweep the South. Arlington at four and six sneaks in the playoffs, as we warned you they might. San Antonio is three and seven, and by a razor-thin margin because John Parker Romo's kick just wide of San Antonio making the playoffs. Orlando finishes the season, ironically enough, one and nine with one win over the team that is nine and one. XFL, baby. We love it. So how did this happen? How is the team with the league MVP, with the highest attendance, number two scoring offense now sitting at home? Well, there's really two answers that I could come up here for the St. Louis Battlehawks. And I say because the league's playoff format and the tiebreakers have flaws. Now, Zook would say it's because they lost to Seattle and in the process lost control of their entire own destiny. So what do you think? To nobody's surprise, of course, Zook and I disagree here. And I will say this. If you're a Seattle fan, you can't tell me that you wouldn't feel robbed in this same exact scenario if it was you going home and a 4-6 and six team making the playoffs over you. With that said, I also understand St. Louis Battlehawks lost two key home games back in Week 5 to D.C. and in Week 9 to Seattle. Pull one of those out, you're in. Remember, our playoff predictions before the season in the Power Bowl had D.C. at one, Arlington at two, Seattle at three, Houston at four. Wrong order as far as one through four, but we got the playoff teams right. I say that because, to me, it was always an uphill battle. No pun intended there, I promise. For St. Louis, because they had a very green, inexperienced coaching staff. Now, What that staff in that front office was able to do to pull together was phenomenal. 
Think about the roster they had. Put together a damn good squad in the XFL this year. A.J. McCarron has my vote for MVP. He should have yours as well. Phenomenal season. And his experience and talent was leagues above the rest of the players at the position. That's the definition of a most valuable player. 24 touchdowns, 6 picks, completed 68% of his passes. What a year for A.J. Two 500-yard receivers, Hakeem Butler, Darius Shepard, both showed out for him this year. They combined for 14 of those 24 passing touchdowns for McCarron. Like I said, this ended up being with the 53-point explosion week 10, the second scoring offense in the league behind just the D.C. defenders. Coming into the season, I never really worried about the offense. It was the defense, right? That was a big question mark for me. We didn't know much about Donnie Abraham as a coordinator. And with the defense, they outplayed expectations most of the season. I think about week two at Seattle. What a game they had there. Probably one of Ben DiNucci's worst games outside of the the D.C. game week one. They also shut down Houston and Arlington, who are both playoff teams. Those squads weren't gaining yards against this defense. For a while there, they had the number one pass defense in the league, but they, they couldn't hold forever. Guys, and especially with the injuries they faced. And listen, I've been wrong before, so this is absolutely nothing new. The St. Louis defense let me down in week 10. The Seattle defense played how I thought the Battlehawks defense was going to step up and play in week 10. And I know a lot of this is going to come through as me being a DC fan. Oh, you didn't want to play Seattle. Be smart about this, guys. Of course I didn't want to play Seattle. There it is for you, Zook. Now you have it on the air. I would have rather played St. Louis. Obviously, that offense in Seattle is dangerous, and they came within one point of knocking us off a few weeks ago. Come on. Be smart. Have some common sense about this. You can rag me on Twitter all you want. Back into this game. How do we describe this defense? It seemed like they were distracted, maybe a little uptight, overly pressing at times, not staying home to their assignments. And St. Louis got into a track meet. In the first half. And by the time the break rolled around, it was too late. 20 points was far too many. Remember, I said 14 to 15 at most to be comfortable here. And yeah, you could have shut them out in the second half, but I don't know if it would have made much of a difference. So what got Orlando to 28 points? Well, when Mac downtown, what can Brown do for you? Launched an absolute cannon that cleared the gateway arch in St. Louis and came back down into orbit into the hands of Jordan Thomas, where he then rumbles 60 yards to the end zone, palming the pigskin like it's some kind of small fruit. It was a wrap for our scenario, at least. Quentin Dormady entered the game, threw a dime for a touchdown on his first throw. A lot of you thought, me included, wow. DeAndre Francois getting the start for Orlando. Great news for St. Louis. He has not played well this year. Well, it wasn't enough because Francois played as good as he could. He threw a couple of picks, but he played better than I had seen from him earlier in the season. Ah, I don't know what to make of this game, guys. Something needs to be addressed here, though, for sure. When Anthony Becht sent Donnie Hegman out, for a 49-yard field goal in the last minute of that game. 
They were up 53 to 28. There might have even been 30 seconds left. And he missed it. That left St. Louis at plus 47 in point differential. Again, points scored, minus points against. Guess what the Seattle Sea Dragons point differential was heading into week 10? Plus 47. I'm not sure I could find the words to express quite how unordinary that is and the things that need to happen for both teams to be exactly tied in point differential. And what that set up is a situation in the sixth tiebreaker where Seattle could have won three to nothing. They could have won 69 to 68. And if they were going to win the fifth tiebreaker or even tie it, the sixth tiebreaker was already taken care of as soon as the St. Louis game ended. So it left St. Louis in a tough position that they were either rooting for a Vegas win, which right out the gate did not look good. We'll get to that game in a second. Or one of 10 exact score possibilities. They needed 31 or less from Seattle. They needed 27 or more for Vegas. As you can tell, that's a four-point window. So you only had 10 possible scores, counting up and counting down from 31 that you needed. And it just, the game was not going to get that high scoring. And it was a losing lottery ticket for the St. Louis Battlehawks. And I don't think it's something that fans were quite expecting to see. I'm sure they had fun in the Dome at America Center. Kind of felt like senior night, I'm sure. Even though A.J. McCarron telling Twitter he's coming back. You have to think guys like Hakeem Butler, some of the other players on this team, maybe a Travis Feeney, think about a Brian Hill, Marcel Aitman, a Darius Shepard. Are these guys going to be back? Our, our guy Steven Gonzalez up front on the offensive line played great all season. He's going to probably land in an NFL camp. So bittersweet for St. Louis. Not enough. 28 was far too many. And a lot of you will say, well, what about the 53? Well, it puts you in second in scoring offense, and it changed the whole game. Just wasn't as important as points against, unfortunately. Well, to give you some perspective on how our Saturday afternoon went at Studio Z, of course, St. Louis winning 53-28 to on a day where points mattered was the last thing I expected. So when we were going into this DC game, of course, I had to break out the calculators. I broke out the spreadsheets. I started looking at somebody on Twitter. Help. Please help me with this math. I'm drowning in over my head here. Why did I put myself in this situation where people are relying on me? Well, I blinked, and DC was up 19-3 to to start the game. Just marched right down the field in the first half. So as much as I want to enjoy my team, and before you run the highlights here, Zook, I do want to say something. I I get it. We're XFL fans. We have to enjoy our team, right? We push that more than anybody. But with this platform that we've created independently, of course, we want to be where you go for information, for entertainment, and most importantly, betting tips all XFL season. Frankly, I was a little shocked when the tiebreaker math ended up being left to Mike Mitchell and I who, by the way, Mike does the best XFL work on the planet for XFL News Hub. Go check him out if you don't know already. I'm sure you do. 
I thought all this information was going to be readily available from all outlets. And that's where I was wrong. Uh, especially the independent people who really truly care about this league like we do. There were platforms equal or larger to ours. And we were, you know, we wanted some help here. Um, there were ones that were having conversations with the head of league officiating that didn't have it figured out. So the obligation to our viewers and listeners, we wanted to know exactly what these teams needed to make the postseason because we want to tell you, the listener, the viewer, the fan, what your team needs to make the postseason. So that has to be a priority every single time in every sports league. And if I had to sacrifice the first half of the DC game to crunch the numbers, if I even made one fan more clear on this whole thing, it was all worth it. So if you put yourself in a position as an XFL source and XFL media, you got to have the answers to the questions when people come asking. It's really all I got. Let's do some DC takeaways. We'll get to some more of your Twitter questions in the mailbag. Uh, quick note, by the way, no Mikey Manziel tonight. Uh, like the Vegas Vipers, he's on early vacation. So takeaways from the DC game. What do we know here? And yeah, of course I rewatched it. I rewatched it 15 times. It was a great football game. And I get there's 22 players on a football field at, at all times. But didn't this kind of feel like Jordan versus Jordan to you in this football game? I mean, think about it. Jordan Tamu running over Jordan Williams to score that one-point conversation or that one-point conversion at the end of the game. That gave DC the late lead. That was a statement. And let me say this about Jordan Williams. He is the best defensive player in the XFL. Great piece a couple of weeks ago by Peter Warren of XFL.com. You just didn't see that much Jordan Williams coverage this year, and Peter did a great job featuring Jordan and just how damn good he's been for the San Antonio Brahmas. Jordan Williams before this hadn't played a real football game in three years. In college at Baylor, he was in the same linebacker core as one Abram Smith. Yeah, the same Abram Smith who was a linebacker in college before they made him a tailback his senior year and they went on to be like third in the nation in rushing and now leads the XFL. So these guys played together. To put this in perspective for you, Jordan Williams finishes with 89 tackles that's 26 more than anyone in the league had. He also led the league in TFLs. He made a play right before halftime that we just showed you, picking off Tamu with DC up 16, gave his team life after Jock has Patrick punched in, which is seconds left till half. And they did set themselves up through that play for a wild second half push at the playoffs. Entertaining game for the fans ultimately ends in heartbreak. Heinz Ward, though, leaving it all on the line. They gave this everything they had. So much adversity for San Antonio this season. They played four different quarterbacks. All kind of injuries ravaging the offensive line. A revolving door of guys in and out of the injury report. Just tough for them. But when you're playing the best team in the league, you even got to worry about the kicker. And not kicking a field goal through the uprights to keep you out of the playoffs. But tackling your returner one-on-one, who has already housed one this year in Vegas, Matt McCrane makes the open field tackle, setting San Antonio up for a 53-yard field goal. Reggie Barlow, in his Coach of the Year moment, blowing it dead. Watch McCrane here, guys. I know a lot of you talking about the field goal and how it was missed. Fred Brown is gone at that moment. Matt McCrane steps up. He's probably like, uh-oh, I shouldn't have kicked it to him, so I got to make the play. 
And then, like we said, Parker Romo, just short. His first attempt went through. It was a practice swing. Didn't count. Reggie Barlow iced him. You barely ever see that, by the way, work in the NFL. When coaches try to do that, sometimes it helps a kicker. This time, it became Reggie Barlow's coach of the year moment. And let me say this about Parker Romo. San Antonio has relied on him all year, and it's been a great campaign. And for anybody that's sending him negative comments or messages, what are you doing? What a year it was for him. And to have his season come down to that is truly tough, right? We've seen it with all kinds of kickers around every level of football, but give the guy a break. He had a damn good season, and there was a lot of things San Antonio could have done in that game differently that they wouldn't have been in that situation. DC, another win, 9-1 regular season. We talked about Jordan Williams. What a phenomenal campaign. He will definitely be up for multiple Freshie Awards. 89 tackles, played in all the games. It's a guy who didn't even get drafted, didn't really play in any spring leagues before this. He was back in the 2020 class. Again, a class that a lot of guys had issues with their pro days being canceled for COVID, combine invites just not coming in. It was all different. You were doing things over Zoom. Jordan Williams will be in the NFL soon enough. San Antonio Brahmas end the season, I think, covering three straight times in the over 42 and a half. Hits here by the skin of their teeth. The D.C. defenders in a meaningless game are 9-1. and one. Oh, That was your Saturday games, and boy, was it a treat as we sat here trying to do all the math and also enjoy ourselves. I think we did a little bit of both. If you liked our coverage on Twitter this weekend, you're enjoying the show, make sure you drop us a like on the video. Very important to us. Subscribe to the channel. PS5 giveaway has concluded, as we mentioned in the beginning of the show. Congratulations to all of you who got multiple entries. I'll try to send emails out where I can, letting you know how many entries you got. And then obviously we'll let you know. Quick programming note uh, for Spring Ball Boulevard. Thursday show this week being pushed to Friday because we have our Playoff Palooza special. We're going to give you all the content that we can, have some special interviews coming up, obviously our playoff picks, two massive games in the season. That will be Friday night, 8 o'clock, here on the Matty Fresh YouTube channel, Spring Ball Boulevard special episode, Friday night lights. Let's get it. The games are Saturday, Sunday, obviously, so we want to get as close as possible to those playoff games, and man, we are excited for this weekend we'll also have a post on our youtube detailing some of the other programming notes obviously it doesn't always work out monday and thursday to do shows when we have this interesting playoff calendar we have our freshie awards coming up that'll be the week following the playoffs and of course some bonus content as we promise for you guys so we'll make sure we keep you posted on the schedule on the sunday slate i wanted to set the scene for you a bit right so Before the kickoff, guys, of Houston-Arlington, here was the XFL South playoff scenario. There was none, which kind of disappointed me because I wanted all the games to matter. But Arlington was in without question because San Antonio lost. So what was the significance of Houston-Arlington? Zook and I were talking back and forth. We're like, maybe they just knee it out. (laughs) Of course they wouldn't do that. but. It was tough when the league pushed all four significant games. Well, we did find an angle for how this game mattered, and we warned you it might, and it was the XFL North. 
playoff scenario that this actually played into. Here's how. By dropping 53, St. Louis jumped from fourth to second in the league in points scored, which would be significant for the fifth tiebreaker. Coming into this game, Battlehawks were plus 28 on Houston. So when Cole McDonald threw a pick in the end zone to Jordan Miller in the fourth quarter, as Houston had 22 points, things got a little interesting for a bit with this tiebreaker scenario. If you watched the broadcast, you found out Anthony Becht and A.J. McCarron, both in attendance at the XFL Hub, taking in this football game. Probably rooting for the coaches to do things that were favorable for them. Well, (laughs) Houston opts for a field goal with a minute left in this game. They drill it, get to 25. Well, the Battlehawks were still plus two on Houston in points scored. So just that then. If the Roughnecks scored a touchdown there, they wouldn't have even had a shot in the Seattle game. But they ended up plus two. The problem for St. Louis was those same 25 Houston points also counted for Arlington's points against. Why does that matter? Well, St. Louis needed Seattle to finish fifth in the league in points against below both Houston and Arlington. So it was too many points to give up for Arlington. As you can see here, contradictory scenario. Just didn't work out for the Battlehawks. A couple of takeaways from this one. A lot of you saw 75-year-old Wade Phillips take a tumble on the sideline. And we all held our breath for a second. But he got up, threw his hands up in the air like the Johnny Drama victory, <laughs> and he was uh, right back into coaching. And, and after players kind of crashed in all the coaches on the sideline there, and everybody went flying like a bunch of bowling pins. Uh, Bill Johnson, football guy of the year, defensive line coach, got busted up pretty good. And this reminded me of, of my favorite coach of all time, Joe Paterno, and how he used to get busted up on the sidelines. It happened in practice, happened in games, well into Joe Pa's 70s and 80s. He was getting hit on the sideline. He broke his leg one time, so... Thankfully, everybody was okay, but Bill Johnson took one on the chin, and he had to go get stitched up. (laughs) So what a hell of a job Bill Johnson has done this year, hopping in front of his head coach and and taking one for the team. Cole McDonald gets the start. He finishes 10 of 11 for 120 yards. And actually, each of his 11 passes were caught. One for a pick, but each was completed to somebody. He also had eight carries, 66 yards. Great day for 1-4 out there. And Arlington did have their defensive starters out there, at least from what I observed. So McDonald, playing without Max Borgie, didn't see Deontay Burnett out there either. So pretty impressive from him. Rush yards on the season, obviously Abram Smith leading it. We wanted to point someone out to you who, if he had been in the season all 10 games, he may have led the league in rushing. And that was Jeremy Cox. What a game for him, the Old Dominion product for the Roughnecks. Went off for like 120 yards out of nowhere, just like the third running back on the depth chart. Houston loaded out running back. Think about it. Borgie, Bryson Aline. They had Dejon Lee. Now Jeremy Cox entering the fold. So some good running backs in this air raid system. Um, Caleb Ellaby got a little action at quarterback for the Roughnecks. He was the 25th quarterback to see a snap in the XFL 
this season. So eight teams, 25 guys took snaps. Kelly Bryant was on the field again for the Renegades. The Renegades, if my calculation is correct, had five different quarterbacks take snaps this season. So that's definitely the highest. Uh, The extended run of Luis Perez we saw, I think, was more about trying to figure out this Houston defense going into the XFL South Championship game next week, which they really didn't do much. Only scoring nine points again. Settling for field goals from Russolino has been terrible for Arlington all season. They just continue to do so. And that game they played against D.C., they did not follow up here, but maybe the motivation was a factor. They were without Davion Smith, starting running back, which hurts them a bit. Ended up with just two first downs rushing on Sunday. Got to credit the Houston D, though. Tavante Beckett starting to set up camp in the end zone. Back-to-back weeks for Beckett as uh, scoring defensive touchdowns. He's second in the league in tackles as well. Another sack for Trent Harris. So we're going to run this all back next week, right? This was kind of a meaningless game. And hopefully that Texas throwdown has a bigger game feel. I think I saw on Twitter Arlington had the biggest crowd of the season, which was pretty interesting. I mean, he had Troy Aikman on hand. That was that was cool. But, yeah, I think we could get a bigger game feel for the Texas throwdown. It was kind of in a lull on Sunday, you know, for reasons out of the control of the, the players and the coaches that, you know, they just had to rest some guys. We get it. But it could be a big game feel down at the rig on Saturday night. So enough about that one. How about the Seattle Sea Dragons clinching the fifth tiebreaker? So we had about an hour in between the end of the Houston Arlington game and the start of the Seattle Vegas game, which was much needed because it bought everyone time to do the exact math of what we needed for both sides. Quick thought on how ESPN handled the situation. When the broadcast opened, they focused on the fourth tiebreaker, which was if Seattle scored 34-plus, they were in. They called it the magic number. I had no problem with that. They were right. However, where it got tricky is that throughout the first quarter, it seems like they started pressing on Seattle has to, Seattle must. This gave people even close, very close to the situation, The idea that if Seattle didn't score 34, St. Louis was in. And when I say people very close to the situation, I'm talking about the head coach and the quarterback of the team that was at the watch party trying to get in. So the problem seemed to be because John Schriffen and Tom Luganbill did their absolute best, and I think they did a great job. The problem seemed to be the XFL front office may have known the fifth tiebreaker and all the math. Were they hesitant to put it out because of just how unclear and confusing it was? And to try to communicate it to a national audience would have left us all turned around upside down. That's what I think the most likely scenario is. And I would have approached it differently. To me, it's like, That's interesting. You might get some casual fans who are like, yo, fifth tiebreaker? Get the popcorn out. Let's watch this game. I want to see if these exact score combos can come true. Maybe you get somebody who wouldn't watch a game if all this wasn't on the line. So I would have approached it differently. Um, But you noticed as the broadcast went on and Schriffen 
and Luganville got more information and started to become aware of the fact that, yeah, we're going to have to talk about the fifth tiebreaker now. It got a lot better. And, you know, <laughs> they did mention Twitter. They gave a shout out to the Twitter mob and how enthusiastic we all were, but to relax because they had it. So I, I do. I have to say thank you to the ESPN producers who opened that door to the fifth tiebreaker. It was crucial. Thank you for that. And it really cleared things up for a national audience. I'll also say, if, if you don't have the common sense, I, I can't help you here. It's one thing to understand the math behind all this, right? We're not expecting you to do that. But if you're a jackass on the internet and you blast broadcasters who are doing their best to navigate this situation, I can't help you. You're a lost cause. So thank you, John Schriffen, Tom Luganbill, and the entire ESPN crew. I apologize if our graphics that we put out on Twitter kind of started a little bit of a mob, an angry mob, they never intended for that. We just love football and most importantly, wanted to help avoid a situation where fans did not know what their team needed to get in in real time if the game came down to a situation where every point mattered, right? That's ultimately what we wanted. Turns out none of it mattered because it was not a close game. The Seattle defense has risen to a level I could have never imagined they'd get to. Ron Zook is putting on a clinic since they gave up 34 points to D.C. And honestly, Rod Woodson seemed more concerned about building for next season than he did about winning this game. Vegas did not have the same mentality Orlando went into the Dome with. Terrell Buckley went into St. Louis pissed off. He went in there ruined everybody's season. And he played aggressive, fake punts, going forward on fourth down, onside kicks, the whole kitchen sink. And sure, Orlando ran out of gas in the second half, but they did what they could, and it ended up being enough to put Seattle in. Uh, Vegas played their most conservative game all season. They punted from midfield while trailing. They didn't go for it on their fourth and short opportunities. They kicked it deep down 17 with a minute 30 left on the clock. May I remind you, the St. Louis Battlehawks in week one were down 13 or 14 points with that same amount of time left and won the damn game. So they didn't have that demon emoji energy that I thought they were going to have and be pissed off what Ben DiNucci did back in week three. So Ben DiNucci was dancing again, just like he was in week three. Actually, this time hitting the disco Nucci. Pretty swell moves out there from six. Hope he enjoys it while he can. Receptions this season. Jacor Pearson leading in that, leading in receiving yards with 670. What a season for Peasy. Absolutely MVP candidate there. Uh, the defense, though, still the story for Seattle. Did you know? Jalen McClendon, 6 of 21 passing, 15 incompletions. Meanwhile, Seattle offense racks up 339 passing, 127 rushing, 466 total yards. They end the regular season, the league's number one total offense, and the number one scoring defense. Who would have thought that? That scoring defense meant the world to put them in the playoffs with tiebreaker five. And it was very heartwarming to see that kind of effort out of Seattle after losing their teammate, Chris Smith. What a way to rebound. Jim Hazlitt said their guys have been through hell. It's been very tough. But that defense that Chris Smith once led rose to the occasion and got this team into the playoffs. And you could bet Chris Smith was watching and was part of that defense. So how exactly 
did the Seattle Sea Dragons get in with tiebreaker five? Again, if you are still lost, Seattle was seven and three. St. Louis was seven and three. Both teams beat each other once. Obviously, head-to-head is the first tiebreaker, common sense. St. Louis won week two, Seattle won week nine. Second tiebreaker, division record. They both swept Vegas. They both lost twice to D.C. Both beat each other once. Evened up second tiebreaker. Third tiebreaker, record against common opponents, otherwise known as strength of record. They both swept the South division and beat all those teams in the North and lost to D.C. twice that we just talked to you about. Even. The fourth tiebreaker, combined ranking in the division, points for plus points against. In points four, and you can see this on the graphic, St. Louis, second in the division behind D.C. Seattle, third in the division. In points allowed, defense. Seattle, first in the division. St. Louis, second. Add both of those numbers up, you get four. Meaning, ironically enough, the fourth tiebreaker was also even. We moved to the fifth tiebreaker, which we told you would decide this thing. Combined ranking in the league. Points for, plus points against. Let's look at the entire league across all eight teams on the graphic. Fifth tiebreaker. Seattle. Points for. Fourth, shock some people. Points against, first. They even held to less than San Antonio, who was 12 back. Impressive. That's ultimately what gets them in, because if you look at St. Louis in the entire league, yes, they were the second scoring offense. They fell below Seattle, below Houston, and below Arlington. By giving up 28, that put them in fifth place in points against. Their number is seven. We're playing golf here. Lowest score wins. So if you like to play the what-if game and you want to know what exactly was it, there are two things that could have happened for this to be different. Orlando scoring far less points. Vegas scoring far more points. The reason St. Louis scored 53 points on Saturday and still got left out of the playoffs is the same reason we told you on Tiebreaker Tuesday, the world of defense and points against which wins championships would matter more even if you put 100 points up on the scoreboard. It always comes down to your defense. So Seattle wins the fifth tiebreaker. They get a third crack at my DC defenders. Good luck with that, by the way. Words cannot express how excited I am now, Zook, to finally move on from this. Let's get out of the calculators, out of the formulas, out of the spreadsheet. They're all in the recycle bin. We have football. Win and advance. Doesn't matter how you win. Doesn't matter how many points you score or give up. Just win the damn game, and you're in the XFL championship. This is what football is all about. We just did the math because we had to. Let's go win the damn thing, DC. Show them that it didn't matter. Speaking of winning, Zook's best bets. Seven and three, which we should add. A three-way tie between St. Louis, Seattle, and Chris Zook was not necessarily accounted for. So the league office has informed us Chris Zook will miss the playoffs. A snub for certain. 
how dare they leave you out? I'm going. <laughs> He's kicking in the door. I'm going. Some people said to us on Twitter, St. Louis should just show up and play anyway. Meet somebody in the parking lot outside of Audi Field. We'll take the winner. <laughs> we'll play some seven on seven. Chris is up seven and three on the year. Hell of a year. We said all, what, since three weeks ago, you were Seattle. I am. What made you seven and three? I'll give you some airtime here. Take it away. What might be the only you get this year or this week at least? Wow. What What, made me seven and three? What'd you do? Tell them what you did. You were smart. I'm smarter than you at 10 and 10. I still won three more games. Well, you also allowed yourself more bets. Yeah, but if you look at my combined ranking in the division, (laughs) who wins the tiebreaker? You know, I trust my gut. Answer the question. I trust my gut. Okay. That's what it comes down to. I look at the games. I analyze them. I do know. People don't know that I know a lot about the league because you don't let me talk. Um, <laughs> look at them. But I do. I trust my gut. And there's, there's a lot of there's games that I just stay away from. And I'm not betting just to bet. Sometimes what did they say? They said on the game last night. Stormy. Yeah. Shout out Stormy for this. Sometimes the best bet is no bet. Now, Zook taking one best bet per week. Great call. You got one shot at it. Seven and three. Ten weeks of the season. Ten bets. I mean, 70%. That's unheard of. You don't have to bet every game. We, sh- we set out to be 55%. As a show, we land somewhere in the middle. 10 and, yeah, so 17 and 13. You think I can do tiebreaker math? I can't do the percentage there. So this shows you I, I needed your help. Uh, but, yes, Zook, with his help, we get to above 55%, which was our goal. It's not over yet. We have playoff best bets coming up Thursday or Friday, actually, on the, the Palooza special for our playoff preview. And, of course, that's going to get tricky because we only have two sides and two totals to take here so we may have some overlap and we for the first time all year may agree i said one more thing before best bets very doubtful Uh, mike and i really screwed up this week by betting each other's teams i said this last week what are we doing and it ended up biting us dc did not cover three vegas rolled over and died waved the white flag and as Matt Sexton was running to the end zone at the 10-yard line, holding the ball up in the air and getting it knocked out of his hands, I quickly realized this is what I get for betting the Vegas Vipers and Mikey Manziel's team. And this is what I also get for letting him on the show betting DC. Moving on, Piper's Parlay. We hit it twice this year, Zook. I mean, it was plus 360 this week. DC didn't cover. Obviously, Battlehawks money line was a cakewalk. Vegas, we did not get the effort out of Rod Woodson's squad. Piper hits two parlays this year, and if anybody wants to talk smack on Piper's parlay, I'd like to see you do that. That's pretty damn good for a dog. I'd like to see you beat our dog, Zook's dog, who has become the show's mascot. I'd like to see you hit two parlays in 10 weeks, and they were all above at least plus 300, let us add. We weren't cheating yeah, the system. I think above, Some of them were 900. Above 350. All three-leggers, right? It was tough. I know. We could have done better. Piper, 
is currently crying. I don't know if you heard her right now. I don't know if it's because she doesn't have a treat or because now she's sad she only won two parlays. But I didn't mean to make you feel bad over there, Piper. I'm sorry. She gives me the puppy dog face. Quickly, early playoff lines. Houston is minus six, hosting Arlington in the XFL South Championship. Over under, 41 and a half. D.C. is a three and a half point favorite at home. 38 and a half is the total. 38 and a half. No, it can't be. 48 and a half. I'm sorry. A lot of numbers going back and forth this weekend. Three and a half point favorite for the defenders. 48 and a half is the total. Anything jump out to you there, Zook? Right off the bat, I think DC won as a straight dog outright twice. Now you're not getting the value. Now you come in. Is there any scenario where your best bet isn't Seattle plus three and a half? I have to take it. They lost both games by three points. Now they're getting three and a half points. Let's yeah. go. Inside of a field goal, both. I mean, 22-18 week one, right? And then it came down to one point. No, 2018. Was it 2018? It? Well, it was in, within a field goal. I don't remember the exact score. but Lost by two and lost by one. That three and a half is interesting. You get above three. Will it climb? Will the, will, I don't know. If I'm betting D.C., am I waiting on Seattle money? It's a tough one to wait on. D.C. is just not getting that value that they, they once were. And Seattle has not been an underdog many times this season. Right? Right. Slim. Underdog against St. Louis. I think a lot has to do with your secondary. Are they healthy? Are they back? We'll have more for that on Friday. We're going to wait it out and see in practice. Obviously, Michael Joseph, Kentrell, Bryce, Dewan, Neal, all were out. Could that have to do with rest? Could it have to do with, you know, Reggie Barlow not wanting to take a risk here? We'll see. We're going to find out Friday who's in, who's out. Let's get to Maddie's mailbag here while we can. Again, Zook puts these questions on the screen. I see him for the first time tonight. Blind reaction. So let's see how tough these are. Pip2323 on Twitter says, what's the biggest improvement you want to see going into year two? Schedule for me, better days and times. Yeah, you have a good point there. I would say probably keeping two games Saturday and two games Sunday would be ideal. Now we understand trying different things, Thursday games, Friday games, Monday night football, probably should have one or two of those in there. You want games where college and pro fans are used to watching football. So yeah, I would try to go with more of a programmatic schedule. Uh, I would also say maybe trying new things out with promoting the league, really playing into what worked this year, pushing, and they have, but they could do better, pushing the beer snake, pushing all the things that worked in St. Louis, catering to these local fan bases. They need more of an identity, right? The XFL 2020 did a great job at that. I think at one point in year two, they need to realize that us XFL fans, what we love about this league is it's fun. It's entertaining. It's very different from the NFL in college. You have atmospheres that are unique push them. I think promotion in year two is key. You can name a million things here. I like the rules. I like the talent they've got. I like the coaches and everything they've put together. I would say schedule and, and, and promotion is my two next up on Twitter. Pip 2323. Thank you for your question. Uh, Piper likes your name. Rick eight bit. Will there be team playoff merch? Well, Rick eight bit. I do not control merchandising for the XFL. So I don't quite have an answer for you there. 
if you're talking about the Seattle Sea Dragons XFL championship shirts that will be donated to Goodwill, yes, there will be playoff merch. Next up, Zook on Twitter. What do we got? So we told you before, Mikey Manziel took an early vacation, similar to his Vegas Vipers, who are now 2-8 and eight and missed the playoffs. He says, Battlehawk fans roasted me all year, then needed my Vipers to win. Explain that. Is this Mike just trying to get a win for himself any means possible? Where are you at, Mike? You talked all year about us not letting you on the show. What a troll. Battlehawks fans roasted him all year. Of course they did. 29 to 6 was one score. They played twice. Did come down to the end in the dome there when we were on the Boulevard Bowl Tour, but still lost. Of course they roasted you. They swept you. Yeah, they needed your Vipers to win, and you let them down. So I'd roast some more if I'm St. Louis. Go after him, at Manzel Mikey on Twitter. We shouldn't even be talking about him right now. Let's go to a fan. DC Beer Snake Conductors. See, this is what I like to see. This should have been before Mikey. DC Conductors, with the season wrapping up, do you think it will be hard for DC, Seattle, St. Louis to field great teams like they did year after year when some players go to the next level? Well, we mentioned early in the show, AJ McCarron tweeting out as a reply to Anthony Beck saying, I would play for this man anytime. Can't wait for next year. AJ McCarron, to me, that sounds like a commitment to XFL 2024. And I could see that one, right? AJ has no interest in going back to the NFL. He's told us that already. He wants to start at quarterback. We may get to this later on because I have a feeling that some of you were talking about this on Twitter. A guy like Jordan Tamu, Ben DiNucci, different scenario. They want to go to the NFL, Zook. They want to play at the next level. Abram Smith will certainly not be around for the D.C. Defenders next year. Don't know how. He wasn't in NFL camp to begin with. Think about guys from teams you're not even mentioning. Cody Latimer, gone. Jordan Williams, gone. All these guys are going to get NFL shots. Peasy, right? I mean, he's like Kevontae Turpin, who came out, played in a spring league, and then came out and tore it up pro bowler in the NFL. So, no, I don't think so, because what it comes back to me, DC Beer Snake Conductor, is we got a guy named Vaughn Hutchins, who's a hell of a director of player personnel. He's got the slow grind going in DC. They got in Seattle, great job by their director of player personnel in the front office and the coaching staff. These teams will not enter a rebuild. They will reload, and you'll see, I think, the same XFL teams hanging around. Really going to be tough for Orlando, Vegas, San Antonio to crack in to this top tier because I think that there are some damn good operations that they're running as long as they keep people around. We got another one, Zook, I think, on Twitter. Nate, what's up, Nate? By the way, shout out, Nate. Saw you get a, a quote tweet from The Rock last week. That was cool. We have something in common now, we could say, as, as well as being fellow DC fans. <laughs> Better for Jordan Tamu to stay in the XFL or go to the NFL as a backup. Well, we kind of talked about that already, right? It'd be better to go to the NFL as a backup, right? That's the dream for these players. I've always personally said backup quarterback in the NFL is the best job of all time. Now, if you're a player, you probably see it a little differently, right? You want to be the guy. These players are on a different competitive level than us average Joes. But being a backup quarterback in the NFL, AJ has even said it, damn good living. You get to live out your dream. And you're very important in the operation, more important than a lot of the fans seem to think you are. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer, Nate. Jordan Tamu, if he gets an opportunity, especially to be a backup in the NFL, 
that means you're one of the best, what, 60 quarterbacks in the world? According to the NFL, go for it. Absolutely. And there's some other guys as well. Ben DiNucci is another one. Yes, he's going to go be an NFL backup if he can. Again, don't relate this to AJ. Different story. He's in, you know, the 10th, 11th, maybe even 12th year of his career. Very different from some of these guys that are in their mid-20s. So as always, hit us up on Twitter at MattyFreshTV. We try to do these mailbags and get to your questions as much as you can. I'm sorry if we missed yours. We only have time for so many here. We are presented by the Believe Network. Thank you guys for sticking with us on Twitter. I know it put us all in a pretzel, turned us all upside down, and spit us back out. What you need to know is the Seattle Sea Dragons and the D.C. Defenders will play for the XFL North on Sunday. The Houston Roughnecks and the Arlington Renegades will get together for the third time this season on Saturday night. And you hoped both games were on ABC. I think one's on ESPN2 and one's on ESPN. Kind of disappointing there. Could have done better. Now, we want to mention NFL Draft coming up Thursday. We understand that for football fans, major deal. I was over here in tears before the show. Trade was official. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. What can you do? Packers give up a first rounder. Watch the NFL Draft Thursday night. Enjoy that. If you like spring football, you love the NFL Draft. This is why we're punting till Friday to do the show. Not only because it's close to the playoffs, we want you to enjoy the draft. So enjoy that. For Mikey Manziel, chirping us on Twitter. Didn't show up. No show on a Monday. For Chris Sook in the control room, I am Matty Fresh. And always remember... There is no such thing as football season. We will see you guys Friday night for our playoff preview Palooza special. Take it easy. Enjoy the NFL draft. We'll see you.